Welcome to the Pun and Roll podcast with Dr. Lupu. I'm Matt Lupu. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about Christmas. Christmas has always been a, an interesting kind of holiday for me. That's because my relationship with Christmas, much like my relationship with everything else, is complicated. I have very squishy, fond memories of celebrating Christmas with my grandfather. He was of Sicilian origin, and like many religiously observant Catholics, he enjoyed Christmas. The festivities, the lights, the food, all of it. And I remember being a little kid and spending Christmas at his house with my grandmother, driving around to see all the various houses in the neighborhood that were all dressed out with their lights and displays. It was magical. But when my grandfather died, our celebration of Christmas ended. This is because my father, who is Jewish, didn't particularly think that Christmas was a good influence on either me or my sister. And so from that day forward, we concentrated primarily on Hanukkah. Now, as much as I would like to do an episode on Hanukkah, and perhaps I will in the future, I think that this episode is better served delving into the historical origins of one of Christmas's most iconic figures. That figure, of course, is Santa Claus. Santa was always particularly interesting to me as a child, as he is, I think, to most children who celebrate Christmas. Number one is the idea of being given a gift in secret. There's something positively intoxicating about it, that you're going to get some sort of treat, but you don't know exactly what that treat is. Number two is the supernatural aspect of Santa Claus. He's a guy who shows up and mysteriously is able to enter into your house, leave wonderful presents, and disappear totally undiscovered and undisturbed. Now, there's much controversy when it comes to raising children about when to tell them that Santa Claus doesn't exist, that the gifts come from mom and dad. I remember vividly explaining to my father that Santa Claus left presents for me. And he would ask, if Santa Claus came into the house to give you presents... How did he get through our alarm system? How did he get through the single doors that lead into the courtyard and then through the sliding glass door that leads into the main house? How is he able to make a secret entrance and exit to the millions and millions of children celebrating Christmas all on the same night from his secret base in the North Pole? After that conversation, I decided perhaps my dad wasn't the best person to talk to about Santa Claus. It was only when I got much older and began my research into classics that I came to the shocking discovery that Santa Claus is in fact real, or that he's at least based on a real person, or at least we believe he's based on a real person. Santa Claus, of course, is based on the early Christian saint, St. Nicholas, 
The problem with teasing any real history out of St. Nicholas's life is that St. Nicholas's life was first recorded many hundred years after he had supposedly died. As best as we can tell, St. Nicholas was born on the southern coast of Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, at some point in the 3rd century. The first written accounts of him come 600 years later. For that reason, it's difficult to really hang your hat on anything that we know about him. But the story from that first written record of St. Nicholas's life goes as follows. That St. Nicholas was born to wealthy Christian parents, inherited lots of money from them upon their death, and then promptly distributed the money to the local Christian population. At at least one point in his life, St. Nicholas was thrown in prison during the persecutions of Diocletian, only to be released from prison and restored to his high position in the church by Constantine. You may be asking yourself now, how does the figure of Santa Claus that we all know in the West, a fat man wearing a red coat, riding in a sled, being pulled by reindeer, how do we get from this Anatolian elite living in the Roman Empire to the cartoon character that we see emblazoned on so much holiday paraphernalia? Well, put on a pot of hot cocoa and snuggle up in your best Christmas sweater, and I'll tell you a tale. St. Nicholas became associated with gift-giving because of one famous exploit in his life. The story goes that St. Nicholas knew of a father and his three daughters that were neighbors of his. The father was a poor man and could not afford a dowry to pay for his three daughters to get married. These three daughters were getting on in years, and if they were not married soon, the assumption would be that they would be forced into a life of prostitution, given no other possible way to make a living. St. Nicholas heard this story and came in disguise in the middle of the night. He found the father's house and threw a bag of gold through an open window and scurried off. He did this for three nights in a row, one night for each of the daughters. The father then took the bags of gold and paid the daughters' dowries, and they all lived happily ever after. There's another story about St. Nicholas. This one tells about how, during a terrible famine, a butcher lures three children into his shop and kills them, and he pickles these children, intending to sell off their meat and pass it off to the unsuspecting public as if it was ham. Nicholas was in the area and passes by the butcher shop, seeing that he's selling this ham, and realizes that something must be wrong. How does this butcher have food when nobody else does? Upon further investigation, Nicholas discovers the pickled children, and he resurrects them bodily, making the sign of the cross the children miraculously spring back to life. There's another St. Nicholas legend, also dealing with a famine. This one was in his hometown of Myra 
on the southern Anatolian coast. The story goes that a ship was at anchor in port, bearing wheat to relieve the famine. St. Nicholas talks to the sailors on this ship and convinces them to unload some of the wheat to help provision the city. The sailors initially disagree. They tell St. Nicholas that the ship's ultimate destination is Constantinople, and that they will be punished severely if they come in underweight. St. Nicholas promises the sailors that they will not come in underweight no matter what happens, and that they should unload some of the grain to help feed the starving citizens of Myra. The sailors eventually agree, and they unload enough grain to feed the city for two years. Miraculously, when the sailors reach Constantinople and weigh their shipment, they find that the weight has not changed at all. St. Nicholas has yet another story involving travel by sea. In this one, he's on a boat headed for the Holy Land to make pilgrimage when he's caught in a terrible storm. St. Nicholas stands on the boat and rebukes the waves and orders them to calm down, and the storm subsides. And because of this, St. Nicholas, in certain countries, is known as the patron saint of travelers and sailors. But the legend that is perhaps most significant to church history is the legend of St. Nicholas and his conflict with Arius at the Council of Nicaea. The story goes that the Council of Nicaea was called by the Emperor Constantine to settle the ongoing argument that was popular at the time about the nature of Jesus Christ. As much as I would like to get into the controversy between Orthodox and Arian Christians, I think I'll spare you. Suffice it to say that this controversy was centered on an obscure point about the nature of the Trinity. St. Nicholas, in this last legend, became so frustrated with the bishop Arius that he slaps him and repudiates him in front of the rest of the council. Because of his outburst of anger, for a short time he's defrocked by local church authorities and made to do penance. There are many problems with this legend. First and foremost, the first mention of it comes about a thousand years after the fact. Secondly, St. Nicholas's name is missing from certain registers of the attendees of the Council of Nicaea that were written contemporaneous to the event. Whether St. Nicholas was even at the council or not doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things. I think what's more important to keep track of is the fact that St. Nicholas is viewed quite differently in Orthodox countries than he is in the West. How then do we get from this Orthodox saint to Santa Claus? As it turns out, during the medieval period, the bones of St. Nicholas would be moved in a couple of different episodes from his hometown on the southern Anatolian coast to Italy. The first big movement of his bones came at the hands of sailors who saw themselves as rescuing the bones from the oppressed Greek-Christian inhabitants of Myra living under the Seljuk Turks. The next movement of bones came during the First Crusade. This explains why 
St. Nicholas in the West is sometimes known as St. Nicholas of Bari, where the first batch of bones went, and also why there exists a church of St. Nicholas in Venice. Most of these legends about St. Nicholas, at least in the West, focused on the story about his gift-giving, redistributing his inheritance to the Christian population, and making sure that the three daughters had their dowries. Over time, this Christian saint became syncretized, sort of mashed in to different pagan traditions in the northern parts of Europe. For example, in England, in the 15th century, we have a record of the personification of Christmas showing up during Christmas time. In the very earliest records, he's known as the King of Christmas, later turning into the figure Father Christmas. Given that there was a Christian saint known for gift-giving, and given that gift-giving was an integral part of Christmas, going all the way back to the midwinter festivals common in the pagan parts of the world, it seemed a natural fit that St. Nicholas would eventually become associated with Father Christmas. The name Santa Claus itself comes from Dutch, or to be more specific, West Frisian. The way that the West Frisians pronounced the name St. Nicholas was Sinterklaas. The first appearance of the name Santa Claus comes from Washington Irving's History of New York, published in 1809. The Dutch word Sinterklaas is anglicized into the more familiar name that we know. Much of the lore of our American Santa would be invented in the 19th century thereafter. This includes his reindeer and their names, and his home base in the North Pole. The invention of the reindeer pulling the sleigh comes from a poem published in 1821. It was called Old Santa Claus with Much Delight. This was written either by Henry Livingston Jr. or Clement Clark Moore. Santa's next major evolution would come from Thomas Nast, an American cartoonist who published Christmas-themed cartoons in Harper's Weekly. Nast was the one to come up with the idea of Santa living at the North Pole, as well as being an overweight man. Previous iterations of Santa depict him being much more slender. In 1889, Catherine Lee Bates would give Santa Claus a wife, Mrs. Claus. The popular image of Santa wearing his red suit, girded with a black belt and a floppy cap, would become much more popular in the 1930s as a result of Coca-Cola Company's advertising around Christmas time. It's endlessly fascinating to me how an early church father can take so many twists and turns on his way from Greek Orthodox saint to yearly ad model. Well, there you have it. Classics ruins yet another cherished myth. You've been listening to the Panorama Podcast with Dr. Lupu. I'm Matt Lupu. Merry Christmas.